Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China, but it's not China that we are talking about today. Today we are talking about a country that we most almost never talk about uh, because it's not in the 1040 window, but it's still a area where we have Christians that are persecuted. Cuba. We have a friend uh, that we are going to be doing an interview with that has been using Back to Jerusalem tools in Cuba. Let's go to him now. Hey, bro, are you there? I'm here, sir. Hey, great. Great to be um, on online with you here and be doing this podcast together with you, um, Pops. Right now, uh, I know that we got a lot of really cool things to talk about with the ministry that you have been doing. But before we do that... Uh, could I ask you just to introduce yourself uh, to the audience, who you are, and, and some of the work that you've been involved in? Well, my name is uh, Pablo Ruiz. I'm original from Argentina, uh, born and raised in Argentina, and started in the ministry in 2003 uh, through Bible school, serving, assisting the Bible school, and in 2006, we moved to the United States to serve under of Rocky Beach in, in New York and um, been doing the work of the ministry since then. And in 2010, just in general lines, we, we launched into our own ministry as a travel minister, itinerant ministries, and mainly doing work in uh, Central and South America. We've been partnering with churches. We do Bible schools. We teach Bible schools. We have our own curriculum for a short-term Bible school. And uh, we've been taking this in, into Central South America, mainly uh, Canada, and um, since two years ago, the Lord dropped in our heart to go and visit Cuba, and um, since then we've been investing a big part of our time in the island, trying to get to know um, the, the, the reality of the island, how it operates, the understanding the, 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 the dynamics of it. So since 2003, we started working in the ministry in different areas, uh, serving in the churches, taking, directing, and supervising mission trips. And and today, um, in a project that we believe uh, can change completely the dynamic of an island that's been under communism for almost 60 years now. You know, um, I've actually been following some of the progress that you guys have been doing in your ministry in Cuba. Of course, I'm fascinated by what you guys are doing and a, and a big fan. And the reason why is because I daily see the impacts of communism and communism, not just as a government structure, but as an atheist stronghold, a, a, a spirit that tries to take God out of, uh, out of the community. And it's, and it's that. Um, that we've seen in China, that we've seen in North Korea, that we've seen in Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, where no matter where 
communism is used no matter what people group. So um, whether it's South America, whether it's Asia, whether it's Russia, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Hispanic. I mean, we've seen it in Ethiopia. When you take God out of the society and persecute the Christians, you see a downward spiral within the economy, in the education, in the, 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 just the general well-being of the population. Um, had, had you been exposed to communism prior to going to, to Cuba, or was Cuba the first communist country that you, you'd been to? Well, um, my family is, uh, is original from Chile. Uh, I grew up in Argentina. My parents are original from from Chile, and in 1933, uh, we have uh, an in the government in Chile, uh, and, and the only reason that I've been exposed to that is mainly through history and the story of my parents. Uh, I never leave, even when we live in a more socialist environment, never had the chance to live under communism or, or extreme socialism. Uh, like it's called in South America. Um, so I, everything that I was exposed until until I went to Cuba was mainly stories, experience of my parents that uh, had the chance to live through the government of Agenda in Chile, and, and they were able to see what communism and socialism did to the country. And, and obviously, later, uh, Pinochet takes over the government and, and open the country more to capitalism and, and it turned around the situation in Chile. But not personally until I went to, to Cuba and I started experimenting the, the reality of communism. One of the reasons why, you know, you and I, we kind of cross paths a little bit is that you were interested in some of the tools that we were using in communist stronghold areas, some of the tools that we were using to share the gospel with other people. And you reached out and, and, um, we were able to get you one of the devices that we've been using on the field. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, um, how did you hear about Back to Jerusalem? How did you hear about the, the device that you were able to use? And what was the impact that device had in the work that you've been doing in Cuba? Well, um, the first time that I met you personally, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I have heard of Brother Yun many years ago. And in 2000, I want to say it was 2012, you guys went to Texas, Lubbock, Texas. And, and at that moment, we were working on a project with a church in that area. And I decided to go and, and hear Brother Yun, and I had the chance to exchange information with you over the, over a short conversation at the book table, and you very kindly gave me your business card. And it was, I didn't know much about the Back to Jerusalem project at that moment. Um, and I, I do remember that. That was, uh, that was at eLife. Uh, that was at eLife Church in, uh, in Lubbock. Uh, Pastor Chris there is a very good friend of mine. Um, were you, were, were you working in, in Lubbock at that time? How did you hear about the meeting that was taking place? I was working with another ministry, another church. I was, uh, they, um, we took a, a short project for six months in another church and kind of a consultant project. And we got to hear through media, but, uh, to believe it or not, it, it, it got over, all over Facebook. Somebody shared it. And I, and I said, I'm going to this meeting. So I went to the meeting. I, I sat through the meeting and at the end, before people 
was dismissed, I decided to go outside and you, and that's where I met you. We crossed paths. We talked a little bit. And, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago that you had the chance to be in my pastor church in Connecticut, Pastor Rocky Beach. And that was a, that was a great time. That was a, that was a really great time. I had, I had never been, um, to Connecticut before that. Um, I, I had, I had driven, you know, on the East Coast, but I had not, never really been to Connecticut. Man, that was a, have you been there? Have you been to that church there in Connecticut? Yeah, we used to work, we used to work there and I just came back last week from, from that area. I was doing a wedding and I had the chance to preach in my pastor's church and we have a great time there and, and I heard you talking about one of these devices, one of the devices that the Back to Jerusalem project used. And I remember contacting you and say, "Listen, uh, uh, you, you you mentioned in the, in the when you were ministering that you guys uh, are the only ones carrying this device. You guys don't share information." And I said, "Is there any chance that you can consider to let us give us a chance to test it?" And, um, and you say, please send me your address. I'm going to send you one. Test it. Tell me what you think. And we talk from there. We take it from there. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, I remember. The reason why this is so important for us and, and for those that are listening as well is that we, it's not that we try to hide it or not share it with other people. It's just that we're not a very big organization. So the, yeah. the units that we have, we try to use them. We try to test them. We try to get them onto the field. And we also don't want the government to really get pictures of them. We don't try to advertise them. We don't try to make money off of them. There's so many people that say, dude, this is such a cool project. This is such a cool product that let us market it. We can market it. We can bring in, you know, uh, thousands of dollars for the ministry kind of thing. And we're, we're just like, well, we're too small. We don't really, we, we, we don't really have a vision to market it in that way. Uh, we, we just want to use it for, we're just looking for ideas of how can we get the gospel into people's hands without, um, by, by, and by, bypass the government without the government or, or whoever's doing the persecution knowing that we're getting the Bible into these people's hands. And so when you contacted us, we thought, Okay. Well, if we could do this without supplying any support, because, you know, we don't have a 1-800 helpline. <laughs> we don't have, you know, anybody that would be able to answer <laughs> questions for you. Um, so I, I was a little scared because, you know, if we get this to you, you know, what do you expect from us? Um, you know, uh, how much will you share about this? How much will you show it on media? How much will it get around? Cause, you know, I, we really didn't know you, but we felt that the work that you're doing in Cuba is important. Let's get you a sample just from our communication together on Facebook. You sounded pretty legit. So I said, okay, let's, let's get this guy one of these units and just see what kind of damage he can do, uh, in the enemy's yeah. territory. Well, and, and, and from that moment when you, when you graciously share with us your technology, the technology you guys carry, we, we start all this process. I mean, it's been almost, uh, almost two years now. Uh, a little bit over a year and a half, where we started this process to try to understand the device. Like you say, you did, you didn't have a one eight hundred number that we can contact, support, and get all the information. And so we were learning and and trying to understand what can we do with this and how we can use it. So from that moment on, we started taking trips to the island to test the equipment to make sure that it was compatible with the devices there. That everything. That we could get it in into the island without um, catching the attention of the authorities. That we could 
easily start working with the device and what the device does uh, without creating any type of panic or, or people start asking too many questions. So um, it wasn't until from that moment until this last February where we officially introduced the device uh, to the island, fully loaded, fully translated, and, and completely operational. Um, it was almost a year and a half of constant testing and trying and, and, and doing things and, and, and making changes. We didn't know. I'm not technological oriented. Uh, so for me, anything that had to do with this technology, it was, it was literally Chinese. I could not I have no clue what to do with it. But <laughs> and, and, and we weren't helping. I mean, in that way, we were not helping. I mean, you, this device, when it arrived in your hand, uh, basically, this device doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, we invented this <laughs> this device. So you're looking at a piece of machinery. For those of uh, for those that are listening to this podcast, we are talking about the Gospel Cloud Unit, and the Gospel Cloud Unit is this small device. It's about the size of a small battery pack, or maybe a, a, a a small uh, mobile phone uh, that you can put into your pocket and it sends out a Wi-Fi signal that people are able to uh, sign on to um, and then they can download um, things that are on this. So it's a it's a mobile um, uh, device that allows you to connect to the information that's on the device, but you can do it in a way where you feel like the experience is like surfing on the internet. And in fact, the people that sign on in the very beginning might think that they are on the internet when they're not connected to the internet at all. They're only connected to our device. And so when you got this device, you know, we don't have a brochure. We don't have a video. We don't have any information to tell you what it is that you're even looking at. So you get this device raw. And I mean, I'm sure it's the first time that you're probably looking for the, the button that turns it on, you know, and once you turn it on, you know, what are you supposed to do with it from there? Um, I know that right. you were able we to... Went through all those questions. We went through the question about, okay, what does that's how it works? What can we do? So it, it took us a while to get it, to understand how it operates. And after that, we found out that the information that you guys have as a demo in the device, we had to translate it, we had to figure it out how to decode it and, and, and put it back into the language that we were needing it because you guys use a completely different language. And, and once again, we didn't have uh, a, a, a group of people that were saying, hey, Paul, if you get all these commands in order, you can translate. We, You guys gave us the device and, and we took it upon ourselves to figure it out how to make it work. And it was uh, it was a great experience because we knew that the device is operational. Obviously, you guys were using it. So we just had to trust God to put us in touch with the right people, with the, with the guys that could do it, and, and we were blessed to, to find people here in the state that was willing not just to jump with us in the project, but put a lot of hours to figure it out, to start uploading new information. And we went with this crazy idea to make not just the Bible available to, to the island, um, but books. Uh, the greatest challenge that, that the church have in Cuba today is mater- Christian material. Uh, the church is growing tremendously fast. Probably is the fastest growing church in the Western 
hemisphere, uh, they probably had experimented uh, a, a similar revival, a similar awakening, like, uh, maybe in Asia or, or Middle East, because of the pressure that's been upon them. But they said that we, we can get them safe, but we can't train them. We don't have the material, we don't have kitchen, we don't have books, we don't have... Uh, there's a lot of things that they're lacking. In, in Cuba, you don't have Christians' um, libraries. You don't have... Uh, they have... Two years ago, they opened the Internet, but the, the speed of the Internet is so slow that nothing can be uploaded, neither much less downloaded. Um, so so the, the, the amount of information that the, the Cubans today can get is very, very little. It's very, very minimal. So we put a, we took the decision to start not just the Bible distribution, but make the books available. So we've been able to, uh, at this point, upload up to 50 different books uh, from different authors, and we have made them completely available to the church and to the uh, public in the island. We have two systems of distribution. Uh, one is through the churches, illegal church um, is probably... Cuba works very similar maybe to China in that area. They have a legal church that operates under the umbrella and under the constant surveillance of the government. And they also have an illegal church that's constantly trying to avoid persecution, trying to avoid the government's uh, surveillance and trying to accomplish the work of the ministry. So, so we've been graciously welcomed into the illegal system and there's more than 700 churches represented just on the networks that we are connected with. Uh, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people. And since we started in February, the, the full approach with the device, the, the gospel cloud, make it available to the churches there, we were able to download over 210,000 books. Um, make it available to people in Cuba. So uh, at, until this point, according to the reports of some of the leaders that are working with us, we have the largest and the massive on a massive distribution, the first massive distribution of books done in Cuba. That is that, that is phenomenal, far beyond anything that we could ever have imagined. Um, 210,000 Bibles and books distributed in Cuba. If I could just go back for just a second, because I think that this is, this is fascinating for me. Um, when you had this device, you said that God sent certain people your way that were technologically inclined, and so they would, be, they were able to help you, uh, like you said, um, find, um, uh, books and information, and also rewrite this in a language, the, the language that, that people could understand when they're, when they're signing on to the device. What was their reaction? I mean, you know, you're trying to explain this. They're trying to understand from a tech. What was their reaction when they see this device for the first time, when they start tinkering <laughs> with it for the first time? Because I know I'm, I, I, I'm not that technologically inclined, but I'm still a bit of a gadget geek. Like I, when I see yeah. a new toy, I get excited and I like to play with it. Um, and so I can only imagine what these guys' expressions must have been when they started playing with it, with, with the gospel cloud. Well, the first reaction that, that most guys have was, uh, we have no clue how this worked this way, how this produced this. And the more 
technological ones, the ones that decide to start investigating to see if they could help us to change the information. Uh, for them, most of them say, we, we have no idea how they come out with this idea. We, I mean, until today, we have guys saying, I don't know who did it, but whoever did it is a genius. <laughs> uh, because, because we finally had to give up on the idea to recreate the, the, the base, the, the form, the content information. We had to give up to the idea and just uh, basically uh, uh, just put our, our information upon the page that was there. We just had to translate the page we couldn't come out with a new page because the code we couldn't we couldn't decode it for it. So for 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 the most times we've been trying to do um, the, the the as little as we could to not uh, number one to make sure that the, the device is still operational after the changes. Number two because the guys that were working on it they didn't know what they were doing they were just testing it. So so for them. They were they were dealing with something that's a completely different animal. They had never seen anything like that, and they were amazed that this thing works. So, yeah, I mean, so, I can so only imagine. I mean, if for for those people that are listening, I mean, just imagine for a minute that you know how to work on a car, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you've been working on certain cars, and there's certain patterns to certain vehicles. You know, you work on a Ford, you know how a Ford puts it together, it's different products, and you've worked on a Chevy, and you know how the Chevy puts together different products, you know, where the carburetor usually is in relationship to uh, the valve system and, or whatever. So just pretend that you're a mechanic, and all of a sudden, somebody comes in with a vehicle that uh, you've never seen before, a, a make and model that you've never seen. Now, and, and the engine is, you know, in the glove box. So I mean, it's, <laughs> so you you That's really exactly what it is. yeah. So you you really even though you might have uh, you you might have designed web pages, you might have built computers, you might have set up uh, wireless network systems in the past. There's nothing on the market that resembles this product, so it's almost an alien form, and you're getting it with no instruction book. No YouTube video instructions. No, you're, you, you don't have access. You're not talking to the person that actually, you know, designed it. Um, which, which, that, that whole story, by the way, just really quick. I know that, uh, Pablo, you've probably heard this story before, but for those in our audience that have not heard it before, basically, um, I was talking to a guy that had this idea and he shared this idea with me at a, at a Iranian conference. And I started to research the idea of loading up um, information from a remote place. And I came across this group out of Sweden um, called Pirate Bay. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with Pirate Bay, you might be familiar with Napster. Napster, what Napster did is they made music free um, from downloads on the computers. And they got sued by almost every record company in the world because they, they took a lot of money away from the music industry. And the music industry was changed for Forever. That's where we get iTunes. That's where we get um, the, the the different music that we can now download onto our mobile device or our computer or whatever. Because Napster went head to head with these companies, and even though they lost in the end, the companies lost because music was never the same after that. Well, there was a company called or a group called Pirate Bay out of Sweden that did the same thing that Napster did for music. 
They did it for movies. And the U.S., after Napster, went after Pirate Bay. Pirate Bay moved to Germany and began to set up a Wi-Fi network that was not connected to the World Wide Web. So that way, people could download movies within Berlin at different like cafes and coffee shops, and then they can upload movies and download movies, and they couldn't really be stopped or caught or monitored because they use their own Wi-Fi system. And so when I saw that, I thought, why don't we set up our own Wi-Fi system in the communist countries? And I started to look at what Pirate Bay was doing, and I went and I talked to our friend who was living in China at the time, focused on North Korea. I sat down with him one night. I remember it specifically. We sat down in a small town in China called Yanji, and we had a coffee together sitting at a, at a small cafe, and I shared with him the idea. Now, he is one of the most genius like code writers that I know. And I shared the idea with him and he said, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Let me see what we can do. Um, it, this might take me a couple months. I don't know if it's possible. And he called me after a couple days and said, dude, I couldn't sleep. I was, I, I was completely almost possessed with this idea and he just started getting all the information and the pieces together. I believe it was supernaturally. Um, he could not think about anything else until basically he invented the, the, what we call now the gospel cloud. And instead of having the pirate bay, pirate bay used what they call these pirate bay boxes, which look like these big, um, you know, monstrosities that they would hook up in different cafes around Berlin. I thought, dude, we live in China. I can make this stuff for a fraction of the price and a fraction of the size. And so that's when we were able to downsize it down, make a very small device, code it by our friend inside of China, which made our gospel cloud. And that's what we have been using in Sudan, Iran, Iraq. And now you guys have been using it in Cuba. And that makes me excited. That is that that's kind of the background story of how, you know, we were able to make this little device. Well, for us, it was it was a, just a great blessing to to hear you guys using it and, and ex effectively make it available to those countries. When we heard about it uh, at that moment, we we just been at that moment was just a couple trips into Cuba. We didn't know much about it. We just knew it was a great need for Christian material, but we didn't know how to get it in. I mean, I was even willing to smuggle information in at any cost possible just to say we tried to help. But anyway, besides this method, trying to get them in, it will it will cost us a ridiculous amount of money, number one. Number two, um, we will always take a chance to put ourselves in a position that they could find it and we could all get in trouble. So once you guys make the, the technology available to us, we were able to successfully introduce it, like I say, in February, fully loaded, started the downloads, started making available to people. We have two ways of of using the technology. We did one with the people that we're working with and we connected with where we offered to them and their churches the, the material. And the other way that we use it is in, um, on the streets. Uh, Cuba is, is not full, but it's growing. What, what they call the hotspot. The uh, internet is not available everywhere. It's just specific hotspots where people can go and connect with Wi-Fi signal. 
So we activate these devices there, and when people see a free Wi-Fi signal, the first thing, the first intuition for them is, hey, let's connect to this and see if we can serve the, the internet for free. And when they connect, they find us, and they find our information and start finding books. And, and you can hear in the back people saying, hey, they're books, man. There's a Bible here. What is this thing? So, so we know they're getting into the the page. We don't know the the. We don't know how many downloads we have. Uh, we don't know how uh, the technology doesn't provide us that information when we are in the open. Uh, so the information that we have, the the the, the two hundred ten thousand downloads, the books that we've been able to download is is just the numbers of people that we've been able to impact in the churches. We don't even know yet how much more we have distributed on the streets and the open. Um, but we know the people is getting it because you can hear people yelling about, hey, there is something here about Christ. There is something here about a, a book, the Bible. And, and we just get thrilled to know the people is connecting to that and, and they don't even know how it got there. And, 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 and we just get a kick every time they were able to work. That's amazing. Uh, brother, how many units do you have at the moment? How many units of the Gospel Cloud do you have? At this moment, we have six operational. and We've been able to introduce two messengers in the island. Um, one temporary, the other was uh, there for a long period of time. And since we proved the devices, since we did the first, uh, kind of like the first phase of the project, and we were able to get everything in place, um, now we are launching the second part of our project that's going to start in August, and we hope to have at least four messengers operational in the island. Um, we have six devices, all of them operational, and we are hoping to have at least four messengers. Uh, we call messengers people that's willing to tour the island for us, and they have schedules and they have specific locations where they had to meet with people and make the material available to them for, for download. So um, we we are planning to start touring the island uh, almost in a massive way starting August, and um, we are we, we can't wait to, to, to start doing it again. Uh, can you use more of these? We totally can. We we are getting right now. Um, we are we're still developing all this strategy, um, Eugene. Like you know, and probably like it happened to you guys when when you run in a small ministry, small organization, um, you dream big, but the reality says that um, you you had to take one step at a time. Um, and and we've been looking for alternatives how to make the material available. Right now, we are uploading. And by the time the IGOS comes here, we're going to have more than 120 books available in the cloud. And we are expecting to start even recruiting people part-time, people that want to go for vacation, people that just want to go and make the device, make, make the signal available, and they're willing to tour. So we're, we're recruiting two types of people, people that want to go at least there for a month, which is the uh, allowed time that the, the visa gave to stay there. But we are also thinking and, and making it available for people that might be serious about going, uh, make the cloud available, uh, but they probably can just go for a, a shorter period of time. So 
uh, as much as device we can have, that will uh, that will give us uh, flexibility to keep them going in and out of the country constantly. Because as I'm listening to you speak, I mean, I just I feel moved right now. Um, we're going to try to get you as many units as you can use. I know that we I think we have 30 in the office there in the U.S. I, I'm not sure. I will check with our team. If we have 30, uh, can you use 30 if we send them over to you? I can. I will. I will take probably twenty right now, and I can put them to use. Okay, excellent. So I will. I will contact our office and make sure that we get those to you. Another thing that came to mind is one thing that we because you're the only one outside of Back to Jerusalem that's actually using this. That's why I think it's so exciting to be able to talk with you and to hear. This is my first time hearing some of the details on how they're used inside of Cuba, and and that excites me because I mean this this is something that we did not even know was was taking place. I mean, we knew that you were working in Cuba. We knew that you were using this device, but we didn't know the details. And that makes me exciting. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, one of the things that we do have as well, we have not come out with it yet, is that we have these amazing uh, back to Jerusalem uh, stories for children, which are missionaries who have given their life or th- these different stories. I'm going to send you um, a, a, a copy of these children's books. And if you can use these and want to put them in Spanish or, or whatever and put them on these gospel clouds and make them available for children on the island as well, we will make those available to you before they even go to print. So I will send those over to you. You can look at them. You can evaluate them and see if they make any sense for you at all. Now, there's a lot of people that might be listening. A lot of people listening to this podcast uh, most of the time are focused on the work that we are doing in the 1040 window, meaning the area between China and Jerusalem. Um, But this is an area outside of our expertise in Cuba. Could you, because people are, 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 they know a little bit about Cuba, um, but can you talk about the persecution, uh, primarily the, the, the things that have been happening with the church since Castro? died. Um, you, you had sent me a message at one point and told me that, um, you know, since um, former President Obama's visit to Cuba, you had seen an increase in persecution against the church inside of Cuba. Is that getting better? Is it still the same? Is it getting worse? What's it, what's the situation? Well, the, the reality with Cuba is there are two, two, two faces of Reality. It's the reality that the tourists and the people that go and just visit temporary experience. And the other one is the one when you start interacting with the locals, much on a deeper level, they start trusting you with information. And you start realizing that um, life is not as good as they, they say there is. Since, uh, since Fidel Castro over, he have he started a, a, a massive campaign against the church. I mean, he's his desire was to eradicate the church from the island. To the point, believe it or no, the, the situation before Fidel, before the revolution, was so bad with Batista that even the evangelical church was willing to help Fidel to take over the country. So uh, in 1956, the um, Presbyterian church, one of the staff members of the Presbyterian church, took $10,000 to Fidel Castro in Mexico to help him to start the revolution. So uh, many people doesn't know this, that it was the church involved in the revolution trying to help Fidel to take it, believing that Fidel would make the nation free. Once Fidel took over, he started a battle, a war against the church. And in 1963, he started 
uh, the concentration camps in the middle of the country, mainly to address pastors, those that have a political opinion against the revolution, and homosexuals. And he made these people, pastors, homosexuals, and, and opposite uh, people against the, the government, make them work 16, 18 hours a day without, sometimes without even food. And, and many pastors die in the concentration camps during that time. Um, after that, it was some, some political pressure coming. He had to dissolve them, but he went into another mode. He mutated and started the persecution a different way. Until today, the church is still in persecution in Cuba. Like I said, there is a, a legal church that works under the umbrella of the government, but it's constantly manipulated by the government. What many people doesn't know about Cuba, and what many ministries don't know about Cuba, is that um, most of the time where they go and visit a church or help a church is considered a legal church, a church authorized by the government. They donate books, they donate Bible, they don donate money. What they don't know is as soon as these ministries leave, after taking the pictures and the video, the government come and withdraw all the material. And we have heard cases after cases of ministries that have donated books, have donated Bibles, and as soon as they leave, the government come and withdraw everything that they receive as a donation. So a lot of people doesn't know that because even the pastors of these legal churches are not allowed to talk about it. They are not allowed to talk that the government controls how much offerings they pay. The government controls how much money comes from outside of the country as a help for the church, and they they make a cut for the government. They have to make a cut for the officials and the government. If not, they they risk their church be shut down uh, and and even demolished. And the reality with the illegal churches is that most of their churches has been uh, demolished. We have pastors right now under house arrest. We have pastors right now with pending criminal cases. Many of them have lost their churches, their buildings, um, because the government went and, and demolished them. Many of them have lost their homes. Uh, their kids then uh, uh, kick, off, kick out of the schools. The people that meet in their churches has been constantly, it's under constant persecution. If they don't stop going to the church, they throw them out of the job, or they start cutting their paycheck, or they look for things for people to not um, associate themselves with this pastor and this church. So it's been a constant persecution, a systematic persecution against the church that it got increased since the visit of President Obama in Cuba, what a lot of people doesn't know, is Cuba always been open, especially for Americans, always been open. It's a myth that, that Cuba didn't allow Americans to go there. You could go all the time. But since President Obama went and visited there, it was not just an increase in the persecution. Over 1,400 Assembly of God churches got shut down, and many of them demolished the week after the visit of President Obama. And this is documented in one of in, in many newspapers. The, the persecution not just didn't increase, but it was an opening for Islam to come into the island. And in the center of Old Havana, Old Havana is the uh, old part of the town in, in Havana Center, um, there was a, a, a very old building, there's a museum, and the government of, of Cuba donated this museum to the Muslim community to start the first mosque in Cuba. 
So since the, since the visit of President Obama, believe it or no, not just the increase of the violence and the persecution against um, the church uh, increasing in the island, but also the, there was a, a massive increase on the, on the activities of the Muslim community. There are rumors, and many pastors have mentioned kind of the same, so I have the tendency to believe that their information is right, that by 2020, there are going to be around five mosques built in different places in Havana. So they're building at a massive speed, and many pastors believe that the government have allowed the Muslims to come in because of the visit of President Obama, and because they know if they allow them to come in, they can uh, run the war against the Christian church. That, so that is they, that they is the to... first time that I've heard this. That, that is that is phenomenal. Uh, that what you're saying is that when when o- President Obama, who traveled to Cuba in an effort to open up the relations between America and Cuba, uh, when he went when he traveled to Cuba after his visit. The persecution against the Christians didn't decrease with the opening. It actually increased and that it opened up the door for Islam to move into Cuba. One of the things that I find, I, I, I would like to hear your take on this if, if you have any ideas at all. One, I just find it interesting how, uh, Christians are so in a different category. I mean, as you're talking, um, I, I'm reminded so much about the history of China. When you're talking about the, the church aiding Castro to come to power because they felt that things would be better under him than they were under the previous dictatorship, we saw the same inside of China. Um, with, under, with, with the nationalists inside of China, the Jesus family, which is where, one of the original groups that had the Back to Jerusalem vision in the early 1900s, when the Jesus family worked with the communist 